Story goes that the burglar had been casing the house for some time and finally he saw what looked to be the, the owners going out on a very long vacation. So he knew it was safe to break in that night. And as he broke in through the window, he was trying to find his way in the dark when he heard what seemed to be the voice of an old lady saying, shame on you, I see you, and Jesus sees you. He kind of stops in his tracks, thinking thinking it was an old woman. He said, listen, Grandma, you be quiet if you know what's good for you. That voice said it again, shame on you, I see you. And Jesus sees you. He turns on his flashlight and shines it in the direction of the voice. And he sees in the the flashlight a parrot that's very upset. And the parrot says, I see you. And Jesus sees you. And he goes, ah, forget it. Then he finally turns on the light. And there's a Rottweiler by the parrot. And the parrot says, sick him, Jesus. Okay, 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 I see you and Jesus sees you. Anyway, continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, God's upside-down kingdom, we're coming to a very hard-hitting issue that's been a struggle for so many people for so long throughout history. Do you remember the old Sunday school song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, for the Father up above is looking down in love. Remember that one? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Then, oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear, all that kind of stuff. Well, did you know that there, this is a real thing? Advertisers now use research companies to take people, hook them up to machines, and they show them their commercial. And whatever your eyes, if you're hooked up to the machine, whatever your eyes are looking at in the commercial, there's a laser pointer. And they can, they can monitor what you're looking at so that they can find which parts of their, which components of their commercials are more uh, attractive than others. So like if there's a, a real cool 4x4 uh, four four and you're looking at that, they'll see what you're actually looking at so that the next time they do a commercial, they can include that. If there's a scantily clad lady, and you're looking at that, they're going to include those things. Now, can you imagine what it would be like this morning if I showed a portion of your eye movement? Let's say I was following you for a week, and I I was able to record what your eyes were looking at. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Or, Or what if I, even better, what if I was able to actually get your thought life and, and put that on film and then show it each week uh, up here on, on, the, uh, on the screen. I, I guarantee you uh, attendance would drop immediately. Oh, man, because we're, we're, a little, we're a little embarrassed. Now, we might not actually do something wrong, but, man, that's in my thoughts. It's in my head, and so that really shouldn't matter. Except for the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 5 and read something that Jesus says here on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. I I don't have this one up on the screen because I'd love for you guys to actually open up your Bibles. That's why we're turning on more lights. But Matthew chapter 5, I should have had this open, sorry. Starting in verse 27, this is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Okay, well that's a duh. That's kind of like don't murder, okay? And and don't cheat on your wife or or your husband. Don't commit adultery. But I tell you, 
that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna, or hell is is the way that it's translated in the English. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to Gehenna or to hell. So knowing what the author of Hebrews says, that God sees it all, nothing is hidden from him, and hearing what Jesus says about equating lust in my heart with adultery, you can see how this topic is a little, it's a little too close to home for us. Now, it's like Jesus is taking the bar and he is lifting it higher. And, and, and you wonder, say, Jesus, are you really saying that what I'm thinking in my heart or in my mind, that that equates to adultery? What, what if it's not even a real person? What if it's a photoshopped image, right? What, 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 it's, a, it's a character in a movie. What if it's just, you know, the bachelorette? Because, ladies, you're not immune to this, by the way. If we're to be honest about the condition of man's heart and woman's heart, by the way, we would have to admit that sexuality is and always has been a problem area. And I know people who actually avoid God for this reason. Because they picture God up in heaven. Shame on you. I'm watching and Jesus is watching. I can see you and Jesus can see you. Just wait. It's like they they think that God's up there waiting for them to have some kind of impure thought. And then, bam, a case of acne. Or a really bad day. Or, or, uh, you know, you, you, you got car problems. And then guilt floods in, right? And then guilt, if you're like me, guilt leads you to frustration at yourself, anger at yourself. Why did I do this again? Folks, the devil will use guilt as a tool to drive you away from a relationship with God. Now, I'm not talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about guilt and shame that the devil uses when we beat ourselves up and we take ourselves away from any kind of relationship with God because we're ashamed to go before God. I got some good news for you today for those who struggle with that and maybe even struggle with shame and guilt over sexual sin. Whether it's what you're actually engaged in right now or what what you're watching on TV or on your phone or what you think, God does not want you to feel guilt. God does not want you to feel shame. How do I know? Well, listen to what 1 John chapter 1 tells us. It says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and then purify us from all unrighteousness. There's no unforgivable sin except for the sin of unbelief, folks. God gave us the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to our life, not to bring shame to our life. He, he gives us the Holy Spirit because Jesus brought us forgiveness. The Holy Spirit brings us purification. Both of those are talked about there in 1 John chapter 1, that we are forgiven, but we're also purified. God wants to make us clean. He wants us to be able to get rid of that stuff. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to help weed it out. God is for you. If this is a struggle that you have... Please don't run away from God. God is for you. He wants you to have victory over this. 
Okay? So don't be thinking that God is up there saying, shame on you. I, I'm watching you, and so is Jesus. God wants to help us. See, God can free us from the bondage of sin. It's interesting to note that not all sin has the exact same power to hold us into bondage. God is greater than our sins. God is greater than one who tempts us. But it seems like there's a category there of which sexual sin is a part of that that are very, very, very hard to find freedom from. They tend to have a greater impact on our feelings, for example, of guilt and shame. They definitely have a huge impact on other people who are affected by our unhealthy sexual situations. You read through the Bible, you read through Scripture, and you see that sexual sin looms large in Scripture because God has created intimacy between a husband and a wife to illustrate his love and commitment to his people and the relationship that he has with us. And so here's the deal. If you mess up the picture, if you mess up the illustration, do you see how easy it might be to actually mess up then what is real between you and God? So to a certain degree, I think that this is why Jesus gets so drastic even in his passage. Uh, he, he's teaching here and he says, listen, if your right eye causes you to stumble, what does he want you to do? Gouge it out. Your right hand causes you to stumble? Cut it off. Really? By, by the way, one of the church fathers, a guy named Origen, now the church fathers came historically after the apostles, but they were the leaders of the early church after the apostles had died. Origen was one of these guys, and he took this so seriously. Uh, it is, it is a, a tradition that he castrated himself because of this. Now, I, I believe that Jesus is actually using a literary tool called hyperbole or exaggeration. But, but the exaggerated remedy does beg a question. What? Okay, so if I pluck out my right eye, and if I cut off my right hand, don't, don't I still have a left eye? Don't I still have a left hand? Don't I still have a brain that still wanders? Is that really going to cure me of this problem? Just by See, see I don't believe that Jesus is saying that we should do that. Uh, if I told you that I was starving, am I really starving? No. If, if my kid says, hey, I'm starving, I say, well, let me show you a picture of a little boy in Kenya whose stomach is descended, d- d- distended because he really is starving. You're not starving. Well, I can eat a horse. No, you can't. No. But do you see, we even exaggerate our idioms, the way that we say things. Well, Jesus is using exaggeration. His point is this. How far are you willing to go to be purified? How important is it to you to be purified in this particular struggle? Do do we see it as critical as God sees it? Now, let me assure you, God is not commanding us to self-mutilate, but he is teaching us the importance of spiritual amputation. The idea of cutting things off that are tripping us up. God wants to purify us from those things. The Jewish practice of circumcision, by the way, was definitely a symbol of cutting away what was wrong and unclean in order to make us into a new person. God always wanted us to circumcise our hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is in the believer. God invites us then to cooperate in this spiritual surgery. And remember, it is spiritual. Do not go home and cut anything off, please. Well, that's what you said. No, 
No, no, no. That's not the point. This is spiritual work. And it requires, again, disciples to discipline themselves. It takes disciples disciplining our thought life in order for the ground to be fertile enough for God to come in and perform the surgery. So today, I want to give us three helpful disciplines that will help. Here we go. Number one, we need to stand against temptation. You, you won't get rid of it. Temptation is there. Our culture bombards us all the time. If you have a computer, if you have a smartphone, there is temptation. Uh, even when you're not looking for it, the world wants to give you this temptation. I, I remember our 17-year-old Allie was doing a paper, um, and she was on the computer on, on uh, Google Docs or something like that, and, and this lady keeps popping up on the side of the screen telling her that she wants to talk with her. No, she doesn't. Allie didn't want that. The world's giving it to us. Now, you and I, we can limit some of those temptations by not clicking on those ads or, or choosing better TV shows or movies to watch. But unless you're living in a cave somewhere out in, the, in, in Afghanistan in the desert without cell phone reception, you're not going to be able to eliminate every temptation. Actually, come to think of it, Jesus was in the desert and he was still I mean, there was no reception, cell reception when Jesus was in the wilderness, but he was still tempted, right? Oh, man. We have to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant because the enemy will find a way of presenting an alternative to God's holy design for our sexuality. If we're not vigilant, then we will be like that frog in the boiling pot of water that just gets hotter and hotter and hotter. We don't jump out. The, the cumulative effect on all of these things start piling up in our minds and all the immorality that we see, eventually we just kind of think is natural and, and, and normal. Folks, as disciples of Jesus, it is up to us to remind ourselves that not everything that we hear from the world, not everything that we see is right. And we better be teaching our children that, by the way. Because can you imagine the world that they're going to have and inherit when they're... Uh, adults and, and parents themselves, it's, it's getting crazy. We, can't, now, we cannot avoid all temptation, but we can take steps to stand against them. I think it was Martin Luther who said, I can't keep a bird from flying over my head, but I can certainly keep it from nesting in my hair, right? So it's going to fly over us, but we can stop it from actually making its home in our life. There are places you don't need to go. And you know which places I'm talking about. There are places you don't need to go. Online or in the world. You, you know that temptations are there. You know that there are people that you probably should not be hanging out with. Especially when they have designs for us that go against God's design for us. You know, Billy Graham famously had a rule that he would never, ever be alone with a woman. Have you? Think about this. Of all of the other Christian leaders that fell to sexual sin, Billy Graham never did. Why? Because he put up a guardrail. He said, I will not be alone in a, in a room with a woman by myself. Vice President Pence said the same thing, and the world mocked him for putting up a guardrail. Guardrails are good. I remember coming home from a late night in Santa Cruz when I was living in San Jose, and, and, and the Santa Cruz mountains, they're, they're very windy, and I'd, I'd driven them before. But now it was really dark and really late and really rainy. And I was taking a particular curve a little too fast. And I began to spin. And 
as I backed towards the, the cliff, basically, God stopped me. There was no guardrail there. It was scary. But guys, we cannot live our lives just to say, oh, well, God's going God's to stop me before I go down. No, sometimes no. You need to participate with the Holy Spirit and you need to put up guardrails in place. Not just theoretic guardrails, but, but, but guardrails that will limit your time with somebody of the opposite sex where nobody else is around or ones that help draw the line in the sand regarding what you can joke about or not with coworkers, for example. Now, I know that guardrails are not going to cover every situation because not every situation is external. That's Jesus' point here. We would never say, yes, uh, uh, adultery is fine. We would always say to act out in adultery is wrong. Jesus says, but it's not just the action. It's, it's the heart behind the action as well. And so it's a stand against our actions and our thoughts. And so we need to be honest about what's going on. For example, for example, it's flirting. It's not just being friendly with somebody. It's flirting. Call it for what it is. It's feeding a fantasy. Not just, you know, watching some things that nobody will really care about because it doesn't hurt anybody See, it's a stand against our thoughts and what we put into our minds. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And watch this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What's interesting is, is, is the devil will use our thought life against us. We all have weaknesses and he'll use those weaknesses against us. Temptation, sexual temptation will reveal our weaknesses more than anything else. Are you lonely? Yeah, you, you, the devil will use that. Are you insecure? Are you bored? Are you feeling unloved or unappreciated? Do you have pain from your past? Have you been rejected? Church temptation will find a foothold in all of those points unless we bring our weaknesses and brokenness to God to allow him to begin to heal those things and to help us stand strong, stand against temptation. Number two, and this is a weird one, but we need to celebrate our sexuality. Whoa, never thought you'd hear that one from a pastor in a church, huh? Folks, our sexuality, our masculinity, our femininity, those are gifts from God. That's how God created us. Sex is not dirty. It's not a bad thing. God created it, and he created it to be a beautiful thing. It's only when we allow the world to come and twist it that it becomes ugly. So now you know that, you guys know that men and women are different, right? I mean, right? I mean, this is not, well, now it, I, I don't know if it's science or not anymore. Trust the science. Yeah, yeah. You trust the science on abortion, by the way. Never mind. That's, that's, another, that's another thing. Trust the science. Uh, men, men relate to each other differently than women relate to each other. Have you ever noticed that? You know, like if Mary and Sue and Jeannie and Karen all get together, they'll call each other Mary and Sue and Jeannie and, and, and Karen. But if Steve and Joey and Mike and Kevin get together, they're going to call each other Shorty and Stinkface and Belcher and Creep. Because that's how we relate to each other. We're different than women. And we express our sexuality different as well. Men, we tend to have a short fuse when it comes to our sexuality. Women, they tend to simmer more, right? 
Men are turned on by sight. Women by romance and being made to feel loved and secured. You know, but God made it that way on purpose. Because as, as the, the men become more masculine and, and they feed into the, the needs of the woman and she has her greatest needs taken care of, she becomes so beautiful. And as she begins to pour her life into the needs of the man, the greatest needs, he becomes much more attractive as a godly man as well. It's a, it's a divine dance that God has given to us. And yet some people, in an attempt to get rid of this sexual urges and struggle with sexual sin, they try to deny their sexuality and the natural attraction that comes with it. And so they, they literally say, that, that's it, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to be celibate. I, I'm just not going to even go there anymore. Now, if you've ever tried that, let me ask, how's that working for you? If God made this as a part of you, then that means you can't and should not be suppressing it. Because your relationship with your spouse will suffer because of a lack of sexuality. Marriage is God's way to express sexuality. Part of it's obvious, especially for younger couples. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, don't deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent. And for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer, for example. But then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There was actually, a, a, when I was down in Sacramento area ministering in a, in a little, a little uh, sub-community of Sacramento, there was another church close by that they were going through a whole series on marriage. And, and literally for a month, the preacher challenged all the married couples in that church to have sex every day for a month. Did, did attendance go up at that church? Probably so. But do you know what the result was? At the end of that month, there were much more satisfying relationships with their spouse. The temptation to stray was actually lessened in those people that actually did it. So yeah, we have to be mature enough to not put ourselves in a situation where other, someone other than our spouse is pushing all of our buttons, the right emotional and need buttons. That's standing against temptation. But we must also find more ways of connecting intimately with our spouses. Not just in a physical way, by the way, but emotionally and, and spiritually as well. Like, get away from your phones when you're having dinner together. Look at each other. Talk about your day. Share what's been going on through your mind lately. Do things together. Celebrate what you appreciate and enjoy about each other. Build each other up. Find ways of telling your spouse that you need them and, they be- and you believe in them and you support them. Celebrate her femininity. Celebrate his masculinity. Don't try to change that. Don't deprive one another of intimacy because if you do, the drought that occurs in your life will naturally, because of our sin desire, because of our sin nature, it will naturally drive us towards finding somebody else that will fill those needs. That's not right. I'm not justifying that. But that happens when you do not celebrate what God has given to you as husband and wife. Number three, finally, we're going to need to also strengthen the concept of marriage. 
Hebrews chapter 13 says marriage should be honored by all, which means it should be honored by married people. It should be honored by single people. It should be honored by divorced people. It should be honored by widowed people. It should be honored by people who have not yet gotten married. Marriage should be honored by all. That, that word in the Greek means all, okay? Everybody. And the marriage bed kept pure. Folks, our culture, you don't have to look very far. Our culture is becoming less and less supportive of marriage, isn't it? Is it just a tax break? Is it just a convenience? Folks, it's got to be much more than that. It's a covenant that God has chosen to give to a man and a woman to illustrate his relationship with us both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so because of this, there is this strong connection between sexuality and spirituality. And because of that, a church, a healthy church, including members who are single, should be in support of strengthening marriages. That's why I love the fact that we actually have a marriage class. And we'll start that back up in January because, I mean February, because in February, after I'm done with talking about this and talking about divorce and remarriage, we're going to have a a whole series on marriage here. And if you're single, say, well, I guess I won't come. Are you kidding me? You need to be here as well because you need to help strengthen and support our marriages. And if you're not married, you need to come. Why? Because one day you will be married. And if you can get a jump on this now, then you will be light years ahead of your peers who don't know what marriage is supposed to be all about. Our culture needs to have us stand up and say, this is what God's design for marriage is. It's a fight that goes on that we cannot just stand around anymore and ignore. Because God gave us a design for marriage, and everybody else out there is trying to redefine what that was supposed to be. And no matter where the culture lands on this issue, folks, as God's people, we must determine to discipline ourselves to live under his guidelines because it's his covenant. So along those lines, there's a lot of categories of singles. You've got couples who are dating, so how can they strengthen the concept of marriage? Well, they can choose to reserve sex for the commitment that a marriage is based on. How about those who are divorced or widowed? How can they strengthen the concept of marriage? Well, how about in their future relationships that they maintain moral standards? What about those people who actually find members of their same gender attractive? How can they strengthen marriages? Well, how about choosing a lifestyle that would avoid sexual sin and acknowledge God's design for marriage. Strengthening God's design for marriage is so important, even when dealing with couples who are at the brink of calling it quits. You know, some people say, well, you know, I'm going to leave him anyway, so why should I really fight for marriages? I'm going to just feel guilty, and there's the guilt again, and the shame again. No, no, no. Folks, it's, it's, it matters to God. It shouldn't matter to us. Now, along the, the same lines of, of divorce, In the next two weeks, we're going to hit on a very difficult teaching that comes in the next couple of verses from the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a teaching that's going to hit home for a lot of us. It is about divorce. I'm I'm gauging probably 90-95% of our people have been touched directly or indirectly with divorce in your family. 
And so it'd be really convenient for us to just skip over those two verses. But God does give it to us. Jesus does give us instructions. We cannot pick and choose what we talk about in the church. So if you're curious about the entire truth of the Bible about divorce and remarriage, you'll want to tune in next week and the following week. And if there are questions or conversations that arise, that's actually very healthy for us. But today, as we are going to be wrapping this up, I want us to make sure that we understand that marriage is best when we see it through God's eyes. It's the foundation of the family. It's the bedrock of a healthy society. It's a place where safety and security is rooted, and it's the place where our sexuality can be expressed in the most godly way possible. So there you have the three disciplines. We need to stand against temptation, we need to celebrate sexuality, and we need to strengthen marriage. Ryan, why why don't you bring the uh, worship team on up? One more thing as they do come on up. Let me remind you, God wants to help you. He's not that Rottweiler that's snarling that wants to sick you. Okay, He wants to help you, so seek his help. Because there is no sin too great that cannot be forgiven. King David knew about this. Psalm 32, blessed is the one Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Because of that cross, folks, because Jesus went to that cross, he has forgiven you. There is no sin that is unforgivable in God's mind. Number two, there is no temptation that is too great that you cannot resist it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And finally, guys, I think that the way out of our bondage is actually to cultivate a deeper relationship with God. You got all this stuff going on, these needs, these desires, the sinful nature trying to fight against things. Folks, what what 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us is this. Flee from the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love and peace along with those who call call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I truly believe that you get closer to God, he's going to take care of the deep needs that you have. The, the intimacy that he desires from us, if we pursue that, God will come in and his spirit will be able to, to uh, bring about the fruit of the spirit that, that Andy was talking about and to allow us to avoid all of the sexual sin and the other sins that, that, that uh, are, are part of the sinful nature. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount series, we talked about the Beatitudes where God is trying to bless, giving favor to those who choose to walk in his ways, in his kingdom. And one of those those Beatitudes was, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, God wants to fill you. To fill you in such a way that you don't have to pursue the world's way of, uh, of taking care of your lusts and, and, and the desires of your body. God wants to fill you up with a love and a satisfaction that only he can bring. And the more that we begin to desire to do what pleases him, then 
the more we will be filled. So let me just ask you this. As we stand, we're getting ready to sing holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness is what you want from me. Let me ask you this. As you're standing, as you're standing, do you love God? Do you love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? If so, you are on your way to victory that God wants to give to us. Let me pray for us. You know, I love you. love serving as your pastor. I want to pray for us. And then we will uh, sing this song as a kind of a declaration to, to know what God's heart is for us. God, we're getting ready to sing a song that says that faithfulness and, and, and holiness are what you want from us. And so, Lord, we, we admit and we confess our failures. We, we confess our weakness in this area. Lord, this is such a powerful issue. But, Lord, we want to be made right. We want to be righteous. We want to be justified. We want to be pure and holy. So, Lord, we, we give you our lives once again and our commitment to follow you. May your spirit move us and strengthen us in, in the way that we are to stand against temptation and to celebrate our sexuality and then to strengthen the marriages that are around us, God. For in doing so, we will shine your light in a dark, dark world. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for this time that we have to gather together. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.